never knowing how to, uh, this is the last time we will look at Jerusalem. So I have a lot on my plate, um, and I, I have no idea what, what really to show you. So this is going to be, you know, one of the criticisms that I take continually is that I'm just a rambler, and that's basically that. I have no, I, I, I don't know how to fix that. So anyway, um, I'm too old to fix that. I'm too old to care, really. Um, um, so we're we're just going to ramble. I'm going to show you some things. Let's start in John five today. I think I think if I had a a premise uh, for today, it would be that um, all the time. Uh, and I know you've heard this question many times. Um, who killed Jesus? Did the Romans kill Jesus? Or did the Jews kill Jesus? Who, who killed Jesus? And I think that's something that every one of us ought to be able to defend. Um, the older I get, the more impressed I am with the fact that neither one of those groups really killed Jesus. That Jesus was totally, totally in charge from the very beginning. And at every turn, Jesus took control. He knew what he had to do, and he did it. That's why at, at the end, when he says the words, uh, tetelestai, uh, most people translate that, it is finished. I, I don't see it that way. I think it has more of an accomplishment. It is accomplished. He literally is saying, I did it. I did it. So as we enter Jerusalem today, as we look, at, look around at Jerusalem, I want us to get a grasp of kind of some, of some of the things that Jesus did that he must have known about in the reading of the prophets. Steve just asked a, a great question about the education. You know, we always hear that, well, those apostles were, they were dumb, man. I mean, they were northern Galilee country hicks, and they didn't know. But the, but the problem is, they had to be aware of both uh, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic because that was fluent all around. They might not have been able to read and write. Uh, we know that Mark was the actual, uh, he's actually Peter's translator. So if you want to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, you're actually getting the Gospel of Peter, even though there is an apocryphal Gospel of Peter. That's probably Peter's ideas. Luke was not there. His, his gospel writing, he says, Most excellent Theopolis, I have come to undertake the study of everything. He's a doctor. He studied for a long time before he wrote his gospel. And then, of course, John. John presents us with 78... Get grasp this. John presents us with 78% new material. He doesn't repeat the synoptics. He goes, goes all new for us. Uh, presents us mainly with seven big miracles that are not mentioned in the synoptics. And it's, he's just letting us know, there was a lot, I think John read all the other gospels and he said, ah, these guys didn't get it. <laughs> Let me tell you how it really happened. And he, he, he told us how it really happened. So, look at John, uh, by the way, I'm a Johannan person. Josh is a Luke person. And just to tell you where we're going to go, I'm calling an audible. Um, next week is supposed to be Bethlehem. We're going to save Bethlehem for December the 18th. I thought that would be a little bit more Christmassy. Um, and so next week we're going to look at uh, two of the places the most hotly contested, fought over. If you pick up the news and it says somebody died today, 
in Israel, they probably either died at Hebron or Nabulus. And it's because everybody wants to claim that. Uh, Nabulus is where Joseph's bones are buried. Uh, Hebron is where uh, supposedly the cave of Machpelia is. Does anybody know what that is? Who? No. The cave of Machpelia is where Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rebekah, Sarah, and Leah are married. Rachel's buried in Shechem. That's where they're, that's where they're buried, even though that's probably not where they're buried. <laughs> well, the first question I asked uh, Dr. Easley when, when we went to Israel is, I said, I want to see the cave of Machpelia. And he goes, uh, well, we're probably not going to see it. You know, I didn't realize that... Uh, that when the Catholic Church bought all this property and built these great mosques on top of places they thought were the right deal, well, the cave of Machpelia probably existed 2,000 years before the Catholic Church got there. So we probably don't know where the cave of Machpelia is. But anyway, the, both the Muslims and the Jews believe that's where it is. So they're willing to fight and die for it constantly. So let's, uh, let's, uh, uh, let's read chapter 5 here just for a second, just a little bit of this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews, for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the, blame, the, li uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one who had been an invalid there for nearly 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you really want to get well? That, the first place I want to take you this morning is, where is the thing? The first place I want to take you this morning is uh, the, the Pool of Bethesda. Um, and the Pool of Bethesda, that doesn't look like much of a pool, does it, anymore? Uh, but you can see how deep it was. Um, you can see the uh, colonnades, and these are probably not second century colonnades because you see that cross, that's Crusader. Um, so this has been built and rebuilt and destroyed many times, but this is the actual pool of Bethesda. Um, there's a, uh, this shows you where it would be. This is the northern temple wall, so it's outside the gates. This is the Antonia Fortress, which is where um, the, all the soldiers that were trying to keep the peace would be this is Herod's um, palace over here and I'll show you that in a minute but this is the pool of Bethesda and the Jews did not build it like this obviously the Romans or, or someone built this like this you see the colonnades on the inside uh, that's what we just saw this is the church of St. Anne which St. Anne I don't know why she was made I mean that's Mary's mother supposedly and so the Catholic Church built a church there. Uh, the Catholic Church built a church there. That's really weird to say. The Catholic Church built a church there. So, uh, and the acoustics in this place are unbelievable. The first time when Dell and I uh, went uh, to Israel, uh, the group we were with, we sang uh, How Great Thou Art in there. And it, the acoustics, there's an echo to it, so it's a reverb. And you can't say, oh, Lord, my God. And when I and awesome, what you get absolutely, you could not do it. You would have to go, oh, Lord, my God, oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome boy. And do, you'd have to do that. And the acoustics were incredible. This last time that I was there, there was a group from England there. And this 
young girl just kind of broke out. She was just showing off. She was a mezzo-soprano. No, and she just broke out. I mean, I mean you, you, it's just such a holy place. And she just broke out in an aria, um, literally in Latin, didn't understand a word of it. Um, and it was just the most, you just felt like you were going to die. And when it was over with, I was standing there and Josh was standing beside me. He could attest to this. And this priest who's in his 80s, literally, he's in full garb, full regalia. He comes walking over like this. And I, I see him from across the room and he's walking like this. And he just comes over to me and he, he, he comes, he just looks straight at me. He goes, you, you look Donald Trump. <laughs> I said, I said, Father, you have hurt me deeply. <laughs> <That's all. laughs> oh, anyway, so, so here, here's the point. When Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem, you remember the first thing they did was they rebuilt the wall. They had tools in one hand, and they had a sword in the other as they rebuilt the wall. Um, and in the wall on the inside of the city are these gates. And these gates are a huge deal, and they've changed many times. Uh, you can, uh, in, you know, in the future, if you read Revelation, there's going to be 12 gates, and it names them. It's, it's important. Uh, this, the fish gate, obviously, this is north coming from lakes. It's where people would bring the fish, and obviously there was a fish market there. Uh, the eastern gate is the gate, beautiful, that Suleiman the Magnificent, Mahad, bless his beard, um, sealed up and will not allow to be open that eastern gate because that's where Mashiach is going to come back. Um, the water gate is down here along with the fountain gate. The fountain gate is right here by Hezekiah's tunnel. And Steve, I had a great picture of you, but I decided that for, I decided for your dignity not to include it. Um, but the uh, the fountain gate is right next to Hezekiah's. She would have enjoyed it. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, the the fountain gate. Steve was right behind me in Hezekiah's tunnel, and it's it's just hilarious to go through Hezekiah's because obviously the Jews in that time were very a lot smaller than I, and and really anybody. But I had been through before, so I knew to go through like this, and you just you can hear Steve go, "Ouch! Oh!" oh! <laughs> As he hits his head with. His, um, so the, the fountain gate down here, Hezekiah's tunnel, the pool of Shalom would be here. Uh, the the uh, Bethsaida uh, and the Antonia Fortress are in this area. Um, what I want to show, let's see, what's the next slide? Yeah, look at Nehemiah 3.1. And Elishab the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built, notice he's the high priest, and they built the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set it up its doors. Even to the tower of Mia, they sanctified it to the tower of Hanel. Can anybody tell me why the high priest would be concerned with the sheep gate? That's where the sacrifices are going to come. And you know what's, back up, do you know what's five miles north of the sheep gate? Actually, it's less than five miles. Because Mishnah Torah, Mishnah says that you cannot bring... Okay, Mishnah says that the sheep that are to be used in the temple are to be what? 
without blemish, right? Without blemish. Here's something else Mishnah says. Mishnah says that the sheep that are used in sacrifice of the temple have to have lived continuously outside for a year. They could not be sheltered in a barn or anything. Um, um, okay. Goodness. Look to what um she probably fourth her son wrapped his phone and goes, Lena Major, this is no room for thing. It came to pass there were shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Well what does sheep what does shepherd normally do? You put them in a pen, the sheep gate, there would be a gate a gatefold, you've already all read about that, and one of them would stay, make sure the sheep didn't get out, everybody else would go sleep in their tents keeping watch over their flock by night. Why? Those were the sheep for the sacrifice. And what city is this in? Bethlehem. The only sheep that were suitable to be sacrificed in the temple came from Bethlehem. Less than five miles. So they made a gate. The high priest built the gate because that's all. You remember what it talks about, and I don't know where, remember what it talks about in Scripture, you've been sealed set a seal on you? They, I'm sorry? Okay. Okay, thanks. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So quote, quote, the, quote the seal. Tell me the seal verse. Somebody can tell me the seal verse. She just said no. Okay. Well, I want this to mean something to you. So Anyway, the she... Anyway... You were sealed. They would put up, uh, I don't know if it was a brand. I don't know what it would be. But all those sheep that came through there had to be, you could not bring your own. Yes. Okay. Ephesians 1.12. In him you also are listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You're a sheep. You've been sealed. You've been sealed. That's cool. I'm sorry. Um, so let's keep going. I could spend a lot. This is Edgar, Edgar Migdal. This is a sheep. <laughs> this is a sheep tower in Bethlehem that's existed for two thousand years. You could get up in there and you'd watch the sheep. Um, okay, um, back to the Temple Mount just for a second. We're gonna, we're getting ready. I just wanted to show you these things before we actually look at look at Scripture for a minute. Um, this deal right here is the separation. This is a Western Wailing Wall. This is a separation between men and women right here. The women get a little bitty nook where you can touch the wall. I don't know. Anyway, but there was a ramp here that you can picture that the temple was on one area. When Herod the Great made, made, extended this from the original three acres, this would be the original three acres, to 13 acres, the city was down a lot lower than the temple. The temple was raised up. So they made a ramp that it, this is not the ramp. That's something else. But it looks something like that that would lead you up into the temple. And at the end of this ramp, we have a house and we have stone pavements that you can walk on, a stone pathway that is definitely first century. Now, I don't know about the house, but this is what the house looks like. This is a cutaway of the house. And inside the house are seven mikvahs, seven ritual baths. Uh, inside of one house, there's seven ritual baths. 
This is what's known in what they think is Caiaphas's house. Um, nobody can prove that, but if it's not Caiaphas's house, he should have owned it because it's really nice. Um, this is an ossuary with uh, Caiaphas. It says Caiaphas on the side. Don't know if that's Caiaphas's ossuary. How many people in Jerusalem could be named Caiaphas that died in the second century? I don't know. Uh, this is this is temple money. You remember the money changers in the temple? What were they changing? Your Roman money is not any good here, just like in the Vatican. You had, they had their own monetary system. This is Caiaphas's money. Um, okay, we're under the Antonia Fortress now, uh, looking for a rock called Gabatha. Gabatha is the place of the stone. It's a place where they would bring prisoners who had been convicted of something, and you would stand on the stone. I don't know which one of these stones is Gabatha, but they've they've hollowed all this out. I mean, we're 20 feet under the Temple Mount right now. 20 feet under, because that's where it was in the first century. It's been filled over. Do you see what I'm saying? And I really don't understand all the intricacies of how that's done in here. I just know that that's what the guide said, and it was really a cool picture. So, um, But you can see that the stones, there's a place where Gabbatha, where you would stand. You can see this is a, a depiction where he's standing in front of Pilate and the Jewish council is sitting there because anytime they're convicting a Jew, it has to, be, um, has to be under the auspices of that. And so Jesus would be standing there on the pavement stone and Pilate would then render his decision how it went. Uh, this is the Echo Homo, homo Arch. Uh, this is also, uh, this was excavated in the 1800s and this arch right here is called Echo Homo, which means behold the man. So once that all went on, they would bring them out to this arch, stand them under this arch, and read what was against them, and behold the man. Okay? Yes? So you're saying all that that happened, like sort of in an outdoor plaza at the time, is now 20 feet under? No, it, would hap- it happened in the Antonio Fortress. And the Antonio, the Antonio Fortress is not visible anymore. I mean, it's just a flat deal. But when you go under the Wailing Wall, now we can go, uh, like, back up to... I don't even have a picture of the Wailing Wall. You remember the Wailing Wall we talked about? The Wailing Wall, that's literally the top of uh, Herod's Wall that you see. And then Suleiman built on top of that to get the walls that exist today. But they have excavated 20 to 40 feet below that. And they can take you down. And when you get under there, the Herodian stones are so much more impressive than anything else because... They're, they're lined up. They're, you could not put a piece of paper in between them. You know, you see people putting paper on the wailing wall. It's, you just can't hardly get anything. I mean, it's amazing how they did that. And then they have detailed every one of them all the way around. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, so somehow, I, I don't have it in my mind, but somehow this arch fits in to the whole thing. That's the Echo Homo, homo Arch. Um, this, this is a... a, a uh, First century game of Parcheesi. <laughs> I just found that stone. I thought it was cool. Uh, this is the Pool of Shalom. And you can see the steps as they go down. These, this is all first century. This is owned by Muslims, and so they can't dig it up. You can see you're in the middle of a Muslim uh, community there. And, but if they were to keep excavating, 
they might see something. You can see water in here. They might see something like this. This is how Hollywood depicts it, um, the Pool of Shalom. And this is fed by Hezekiah's tunnel, the tunnel that Hezekiah dug. Shalom literally means sent. Um, if you've ever done that, we don't know how Hezekiah did it, but men lined up on that side, men lined up on this side, and they dug a tunnel. They sent a tunnel for 750 feet through solid rock to get to this. And we get to wait in it now. Um, this is Herod's um, place. Does anybody know what that is? Golgotha. <clears throat> that's, that's, Gol that's Golgotha as we see it today. You see the eyes. What does Golgotha mean? Skull. Uh, probably not Golgotha, but we don't know. I mean, it's been 2,000 years. And if you look at these stones, they look like they're ready to fall off any minute, and that would just ruin the whole thing. So we, I, for all I know, little men in the middle of the night went over and carved that. I don't know. Um, I do know that this fence is up. This, everything back this way is what's called the garden tomb, and so it's convenient. The British own this. It's convenient that you can go and look. The, I, I will say this. That does more for me than the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. You see what I'm saying? It's just, that's more real. Um, this is a bus depot down here, and if Muslim groups know that you're having a devotional up there, they'll blow the horns, and it's really nice. Um, this, is, this is more of the skull. This is a tomb, not the tomb, but I did go in there. He's not in there either. Um, this is a tomb, and if you'll notice this channel right in front, this is the way it worked. You see that big stone? It would just be much more impressive if that big stone were in the channel, but it's not. So I'm just telling you, that stone would normally be in the channel, and they would roll the stone away, and the kids could sing the song, and everybody would be happy. But it's not there, so I don't know. Okay, <clears throat> um, I want to go back just for a second. I want, I want to go back just for a second. What time is it? Anybody know? Okay, and okay, we're good. Does anybody know what the? Oh, I shouldn't go there. Um, does anybody know what the Jewish what the name of the Jewish Bible is? No, Talmud is a commentary. It's what? Tanakh. Tanakh. So Tanakh. Does anybody know why it's called Tanakh? Okay, there are no cons there are no vowels in Hebrew, so it's just T N K. Really, is what it is. And it stands for Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Okay, the Pentateuch in Greek, the Torah, the Nevi'im. Nevi'im is uh, the uh, prophets. Old, I mean, uh, the uh, lesser and minor and the greater prophets. And the Kevi'im, the K is Kevi'im, and that makes up the Jewish Bible. Okay, uh, you remember when we talked about uh, Torah and half Torah? What is that? It's the liturgy. It's the liturgy that all Jews would do. We talked about this in relationship to Luke 4 when Jesus entered his hometown, Nazareth, and they gave him the scroll to read. That was the scroll he was supposed to read. He was supposed to read from the Torah and the half Torah. So the Nevium, the Nevium portion there would be that portion in Isaiah. It's interesting that what is the, what is the most descriptive passage in all the Old Testament? Um, of Jesus. 
I'm sorry? Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Did you know that Isaiah 53 is not in any of the half Torah portions in Judaism? They've never read it. That's interesting. Because if you read it, you can, and I asked AJ point blank one time in a study. I said, okay, tell me, explain Isaiah 53. And she said, she looked at me and she said, that is descriptive of Israel. It's not descriptive of Jesus. And I've read it multiple times. I don't see how she gets it. And she's brilliant. All I'm saying is that Judaism is blind to that. Judaism is blind to that. And that is, that's, a, that's a fascinating piece. Um, Let's go back. So, Jesus is in... Somebody look, turn to Luke 9. We're not going to have time to read all these scriptures. So somebody turn to Luke 9, 51. So Jesus is up in... They're up around the Sea of Galilee, the north, north of the Sea of Galilee. As a matter of fact, if you go back in Luke, they just left um, Caesarea Philippi. They just left Caesarea Philippi, and then they went up to a transfer, transfiguration which was up at Mount Hermon. And then Jesus, look, what does Luke 9.51 say? Somebody. Say, say it where everybody can hear it, please. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He didn't casually say, hey, let's uh, mosey on down. The no, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. There's two routes you can go to Jerusalem. You can go this way. You're straight to Jerusalem. And if you do that, you're going through what? Samaria. Samaria. Most Jews don't do that. Jesus did that a couple times, but most Jews don't do that. Most Jews cross over to avoid it. What's the big problem with Samaria? They're called half-breeds. They're unclean. And so much so that the Samaritans, when Nehemiah came back... He wanted to, wanted to build the temple. The Samaritans came to him. They had lived in the land. They had intermingled with Assyrians and Babylonians. And they said, we want to help you build your temple. And the Jews said, what? Go away. And so what did they do? I don't know where Gerizim is here, but they went up to Mount Gerizim and built an identical temple in Mount Gerizim. And so Jews just avoid Samaria altogether. That's just a different deal. So Jesus went over and was preaching in the area around Perea. And then he decides it's getting close to Passover. And so he decides he'll go up to Jerusalem. So the first thing they do, they cross the Jordan here and they go up to Jericho. Now Jordan, the Dead Sea is how much, what elevation somebody? It's, it's thir- anywhere from, you know, the, uh, no, it, it, it keeps varying every year because it goes down a foot a year. It's not going to be there very much longer. Uh, there's a big thing in uh, uh, Israel right now where they're going to put a pipeline in the Mediterranean Sea and run it over to the Dead Sea to just keep it going. Kind of, It'd still be dead, but they just want a little water there because they built a lot of really nice hotels there. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he went over and it's 16, anywhere from 15 to 1600 below sea level. And they went over to Jericho, which is 800 feet uh, below sea level. Let's just keep going just a minute. I'll just show you some stuff. Uh, This is the Jordan River right here. This is Amman Jordan. See, Amman Jordan is 3,500 feet. We notice at Jericho, we're at 825, 
And notice that we're at Jerusalem, we're at 2540. This is in a period of 14 miles. Now, 14 miles is a day's walk. You can comfortably hike and backpack 14 miles a day, but you can't comfortably hike and backpack and climb 3,000 feet in elevation to go to Jericho. So it was a two days journey. I've always wondered, on the Jericho Road, there's room for just two. Why is that? No more, no less. Just you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> each bird and he'll bear. No, we ought to just sing that for a minute. Um, so this is Jericho, and you can go up to the ascent of a doom here, uh, following the top of this ridge. See, you follow the top of this ridge, and it, well, it's precarious. I, I, I had other pictures that show it's precarious. And this is the Good Samaritan Inn. We really don't know if it is or not, but it's got a neon light. Uh, no, but, but there had to be some place that you could stay halfway. So that makes sense to me, Good Samaritan Inn. And that's a franchise. Um, and then you go over to Jerusalem and you've climbed all that way. I, I love this one too. And you can go home and Google, uh, go to YouTube and look for uh, Wadi's, Wadi, look at, we're looking for Wadi Kilt. And just watch Wadi Kilt when it rains in Jerusalem because you see, going back, the, the rains come off the Mediterranean, they hit the Shephelah, and then they go up to Jerusalem. What happens to the rains? They don't have enough oomph, so they just die. So this place does not get any water. This is the Judean wilderness. If you extrapolate and go north, the total Judean wilderness right here. There's not. it's just... Mm. Um, so, um, but that wadi right here, literally, but if the, it rains in Jerusalem, which is only six miles from the Dead Sea, but you can't get there from here. So it will fill that wadi up, and it is amazing how much water comes in that. They've got a video of it, and it, it's really wild. Uh, this is that same uh, place. We're walking up to Jerusalem. This is the Mount of Olives. That's how desolate we're talking about. Okay, um, so let's look in our let's look in our uh, Bibles. Um, I'm at Luke 18. Luke 18. I tell you, let's start with Luke 13. Let's start with Luke 13. In deference to Josh, uh, we'll use Luke. Luke 13, verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else, because Herod wants to kill you. There's a, already, there's a cherim against Jesus. Luke tells us there's a cherim against him. Does anybody know what a cherim is? It is a contract. That's, that's really good. It is a con it's a binding contract that says we're going to kill you. The, the temple priests have put out a contract on Jesus. Remember in John, the man that was the man that uh, that Jesus healed that was blind. He kept going around, the, and the people brought him in. They, it says, his parents did not want to testify on his behalf. Why? They did not want to be put out of the out, out of the temple. Out of temple, temple was called Hamakim, our place. It's where all the social. It's where you went to play bingo on Friday nights. Um, no, that was Friday nights a Sabbath, so that's not you know. Um, but it's where you did everything. You could not buy or sell unless you were part of Hamakim. His parents, did, they put him out. They put Jesus out. 
but they did not put the parents out because the parents wouldn't speak against him. Um, <clears throat> Leave this place. Herod wants to kill you. Go tell that, Jesus said, go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and I will heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I'll reach my goal. I'll do what I want to do. It's what I've been born to do. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. And then Jesus laments. It's almost a soliloquy. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as hens gather chicks under their wings, but you're not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So what I want you to see about all this, this passage, is that Jesus could have gone straight to Jerusalem through Samaria. He's done it before. He chose to go on this side and go this way. Why? This is going to take somebody who's really been paying attention. The, Sally got it. To come in to Jerusalem in the right way. To go through the Mount of Olives. Go over the Mount of Olives and approach the side to where he could do what? Go through, no, go through the Damascus gate. The beautiful gate. Which is back to Ezekiel 43. God left the temple. The Spirit of God left the temple. It went and hovered where? on the Mount of Olives. And in 43 it says, I'll return the exact same way. It struck me this week too when I was thinking about how the triumphal entry uh, would have worked because um, I just think about stuff like that. And there's like this little road and nobody knows it. When we walk into Jerusalem, Larry, that little road, just that little, where the cars are going up and down they're trying to kill everybody, um, that is probably where the triumphal entry took place. Let's look at John 18. <clears throat> John 18, verse 31. Now Jesus took the twelve aside and He said, We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that was written... Thank you. If you could just hit the air conditioner a couple of notches... <laughs> and everything that was written about me by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day he'll rise again. But the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. And they didn't know who he was talking about. Now look, as he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging... Does anybody know what the nickname for Jericho is? City of the Palms. City of the Palms. You can see Jericho for miles around. You're in this desert and all of a sudden you see these palm trees pop up because it's an oasis. Um, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. He called out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led, led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped the, you know, ordered the man be brought to him. He came near and Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do to you? 
Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight. He followed Jesus, praising God. Listen to this. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. There's other parts of this passage that say thousands of people were following. You know, after he raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, thousands of people followed him everywhere he went. They just followed him, and the crowd kept getting bigger and bigger. So as, he, as they walked this way right here up to the Mount of Olives, um, look at Luke 19, uh, verse 44. As he approached, I'm verse 41. This is totally apocalyptic. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. It's exactly how the Romans destroyed it in 70. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on top of another because you did not recognize the time of God's visitation of you. So I, I don't want to get into your, uh, I don't want to mess your eschatological viewpoint, viewpoint up, Tracy. Uh, Praetorist that you are. Um, anyway, I, I don't want to mess, mess with that, but I'm going to tell you, Jesus has already entered He's already entered this way. And he did it with full knowledge, exactly what he was doing. He knew that his crossing the Mount of Olives, walking across the Kidron Valley, the Valley of the Kings, was fulfilling what Ezekiel 43 called for Mashiach to do. That's it. Um, you, you can go to... Remember, remember when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed and... Uh, the, uh, uh, the Romans came under the darkness of a full moon. Passovers are always on full moon. The Jewish calendar is, is lunar. Um, and so they're in full moon and they came with all the swords and everything. And what happens first? What does Peter do? Cut off the ear of, off the ear of who? Serving the, Serving the high priest. What was his name? Malchus. Malchus. And you only know that because of John. None of those other gospel writers got that. As a matter of fact, Mark ran from, the, ran from Gethsemane uh, naked. He stripped off his clothes and he ran naked. He didn't stay. What did Jesus do when Peter cut off the guy's ear? He said, don't do it. And he touched him and it says immediately his ear was healed. And that goes just unseen, unnoticed. Jesus was in total control, knew totally what he wanted to do. It is really hot in here. Y'all dying? Why do they do this to us? We, we, we pay money. I mean, in the... In the Does anybody have any questions? I don't have any more. I'm done. The quiz is really good. Good. Funny how that timed out. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Goodness gracious.
Is it hot? Not too bad. One of your speakers.